The specialty of critical care medicine as we know it today has been in existence for a little over half a century. Critical care specialty medical and nursing programs have evolved rapidly in this time, with specific training colleges developing in a number of countries. However, as the number of critical care beds increase, workforce issues, particularly at a junior level, inevitably grow. Carol Belanger is a consultant, advanced critical care practitioner for the Royal Devon and Exeter NHS Trust in England Southwest. Carol is one of the first consultant nurses to undergo further training as an ACCP and now sits on a national working group that will steer the program's widespread introduction into clinical practice in the UK. Describing her role as one of the best jobs in the Trust, Carol joins me on the podcast to discuss this innovative program. Carol, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. Carol, the position is um, probably unfamiliar to many of our listeners in many of the countries that uh, people will be listening to this from. There's no position like this. Can you tell us um, about the work that you do? Of course. Um, The Advanced Critical Care Practitioner Program started back in 2004 as a pilot with the new ways of working in critical care for the Department of Health in the UK. And this was really to um, explore whether there was a possibility for experienced nurses to work in a slightly different way in intensive care units, really to um, anticipate and um, potentially meet a shortfall in um, workforce issues with a reduction in the number of anaesthetic trainees uh, coming through intensive care. The majority of trainees in uh, ICU in the UK uh, are pretty much... um, anaesthetics. Uh, We have a a small number of uh, um, medical trainees but predominantly they're anaesthetics and the um, workforce modelling was anticipating a real shortfall in um, the number of trainees coming through. So we were one of uh, five pilot sites which were basically given funding to um, test out what might work um, with experienced critical care nurses. Um, and the other arm of that, of that same pilot was to see whether non-registered um, auxiliary type roles could be extended into an assistant critical care practitioner. I did the um, advanced critical care practitioner program and we um, I did two years training uh, and learnt lots of advanced um, clinical skills and knowledge. Uh, and that means that um, now I perform skills that were previously undertaken by medical trainees only in ICU. I work on the medical rotor, um, and so I intubate with drugs, I um, put in invasive lines, um, I uh, do solo transfer um, of critically ill patients for tertiary care, um, I'm an independent prescriber. So basically I do the same as the, um, as the medical staff on ICU. So I manage episodes of care uh, is what I do. Uh, the pilot, uh, I, was probably, I was the only one who was carrying on working after the pilot finished, after the two years. Um, and then I've been working with the Department of Health since setting up a national competency framework for advanced critical care practitioners. Um, which has um, more recently culminated in working for the Faculty of Intensive Care Medicine, for which now I've been co-opted onto the board of as the first non-medic to represent ACCPs. And there's probably about 70 in training and trained uh, throughout the whole UK now um, of experienced critical care nurses. We also have two physios 
um, who are trained and two more in training who are also doing the ACCP program um, and we're all working on medical rotors um, providing episodes of care to patients. You mentioned that there's likely to be a shortfall of uh, junior medical staff going through and training in intensive care. What are the sort of numbers that we're talking about if that was to eventuate? How many advanced care practitioners would you need? I think um, I think it's difficult. I think when the pilot was first started, um, there was a real anxiety about a shortfall, and I don't think it's I don't think it's hit us yet. I don't think we've had the um, this um, serious reduction in the number of trainees. Um, certainly not in the southwest yet, but I certainly know that um, they're certainly having trouble filling uh, middle tiers of rotors um, in um, the north of the country. So um, it's difficult to say uh, with numbers. The way it's working um, in units who've trained um, a lot more um, is that um, they, they're training, I mean, certainly in uh, Newcastle and Edinburgh, they've got um, 18. Uh, and what they do is they fulfil a slot on the on the medical rotor. Um, so um, numbers are not uh, are not huge as yet, but it's getting increasing, increasingly popular as um, a stable um, stable member of the workforce um, to actually make sure that the um, service delivery uh, needs are met. And obviously there's always that balance between service and training with uh, our trainees come through. Um, the anaesthetic trainees have to do just three months. So every three months we get a new batch of, of trainees in who prob probably for whom a good proportion of intensive care isn't going to be where they want to be at the end of their career. Um, so what the ACCP role does is maintains that quality standard and the bulk of what I do now um, in addition to the clinical uh, role is um, I run the induction for the junior trainees who come through ICU uh, and provide a support and buddying role um, so support them with their first on calls, teach them to put lines in and so on and that has a, an impact on making sure that the quality standard stays level particularly with this, these fluctuations every three months. If uh, if that shortfall does play out, um, it, would you imagine that there'd be the numbers in the nursing or allied health ranks to fill the void? Do you think? I think that's um, I, I think that's a difficult question. I think um, I'd like to say yes because this is what I do, and I think it's I, certainly it's the right right thing for me. And certainly in the UK, nursing in particular, we shot ourselves in both feet several years ago. Um, by when you get to a certain level in your of seniority in your um, in your role, you either go into management or education. And what this does is it offers another strand for of a career strand for people um, like myself who um, would want to uh, expand and extend their clinical uh, their clinical skills. Um, I think whether we could meet that complete shortfall, um, I'm not sure because I don't think anybody um, quite has a, a handle on exactly where that sh how much that shortfall is going to be. It's certainly not hit. Um, as severely as anticipated. So um, I think it's certainly one workforce solution um, that is working quite well um, and is expanding year by year um, in the UK. And it's a good opportunity for experienced critical care nurses and um, AHPs to actually retain and extend their clinical skills um, and um, still be at the bedside and involved in patient care um, rather than going down the management or the education route. 
What is what is the background requirements for people going into the uh, into the program? Um, the the Department of Health in the UK would really like it if uh, just science graduates could go straight into ACCP training. I think um, what um, what we've set now with the Faculty of Intensive Care Medicine is that you know you have to have um, at least five years' experience um, in a critical care setting. Um, and you should be educated to degree level. And then the, the course that we've set is um, it's a two years postgraduate um, diploma, which is run concurrently with a with um, a university and um, and the units um, who fulfil all the clinical competencies, um, with an option to extend to a master's in advanced critical care practice. Can you tell me what the, the program involves? What sort of training do you do uh, in that two-year period? In that two-year period, um, there are key core competencies to be met, which um, run very much alongside the um, core competencies for intensive care medicine. Um, and that's intentional because the uh, supervisors of um, ACCPs will be, by definition, ICU consultants. Um, so that's um, clinical history taking um, and examination uh, that's airway management. That's um, assessment of all um, of all body systems and um, initial uh, initial and ongoing management. So that would include um, all your range of um, therapies that are undertaken in um, ICU. So the idea is that um, ACCPs can manage episodes of care with clearly defined levels of supervision. And I think it's important to state that. So uh, all the competencies are very clearly set as to whether it's something that ACCPs can do independently um, with um, minimal supervision um, or with direct supervision. So the indirect minimal supervision would be um, a consultant within 30 minutes. Um, and direct supervision, that would be, you would expect that um, there would be somebody to supervise actually um, physically in the unit. So from a safety point of view, I think that's really, really important because obviously there's a there's a real danger that um, you, could, you could be left um, in a situation where um, an ACCP can feel vulnerable um, with um, acutely unwell patients. Carol, you, you referred to the career, um, it, it is an alternate uh, career pathway for, for experienced um, intensive care nurses. I'm interested in that as a concept because I wonder what um, what this will lead to in the future. Do you see um, a future career building from this perspective? I, th- I think that, I mean, I'm, I say clearly I'm passionate about this and I'm biased um, about this. Um, but um, for me, um, and I can only talk from, from my experience, is that um, I did a lot of education to be... Um, you know, a sister or you would say a charge nurse in in, uh, in the ICU. Um, and then I went down the management route and the education route um, because there's no there was no progression. Um, but actually what I wanted was that opportunity to have that patient contact. And all of those skills that we learned to get to that point, there's the sort of pinch point of, okay, you're a certain level of seniority in your, your management or education or a mixture of both. Um, it seems a waste not to actually extend that and shouldn't actually um, impact on that and it's about for me I think it's about valuing all that experience you get um, as you're developing through and becoming an experienced critical care nurse and actually taking it one stage further 
um, and that has a, bonif a benefit for um, not only for um, you know critical care nurses but also for patients. I see patients and their families um, on ICU if they're referred to ICU and if it's feasible with their clinical condition talk to them about ICU. I can bring them to ICU, do whatever clinical skills um, that are required to ventilate them, inotropes, whatever be involved in their management throughout um, their clinical course, um, see them on the ward again afterwards, and I see them in clinic. And you don't get much better clinical continuity than that. Um, so I think some of it is um, it's a real opportunity um, for critical care nurses like myself who want to have that patient contact, who want to um, continue to learn and develop um, at the bedside to be able to do so um, and still um, still develop um, not only from a, um, a clinical perspective but also develop from a career perspective because uh, advanced critical care practitioners um, when they're trained would be on the same um, we have banding over here in terms of um, seniority levels would be on the same banding as um, somebody uh, you know a sister or a charge nurse on the unit and then you can progress to where I am now which it which is um, at a consultant uh, consultant nurse level um, so there is a career progression that um, we've cre created from this sort of um, pinch point by saying actually um, this is about recognizing all those clinical skills that people have and and using them in a slightly different way one of the concerns that I have about um, a lot of junior doctors staying in those sorts of roles is the lack of perceived career progression. Do you think that that will be a problem for um, for ACCPs who get to that level and then I think maybe there's another step that I need to take but there isn't anywhere to go? How do you feel about that? I think... Um I think there is, and I suppose I'm proof positive that there is, because there was a real concern that um, when I'd finished the ACCP training that there would be a glass ceiling and that would be that. And certainly there's other roles in the UK, like the surgical care practitioner and the physician's assistance brackets anesthesia, where that's very much been the case. But ICU is a very different beast, as you know. And the um, so I've progressed to, I'm a consultant advanced critical care practitioner, so the the clinical aspect of my role as an ACCP, but there's always something to learn. So now I do thoracic ultrasound. I'm learning how to do echoes. So I'm, I'm managing um, patients of much more complexity and getting much more involved in training and supporting the junior medical staff. So there's always something to learn in ICU, and I think having, you know, I say I'm I'm at, at consultant level now, and I probably won't go there isn't any higher to go in, in clinical terms, but there's always there's always something to learn. Um, and in career progression, you know, I'm at the top of, top of my tree and there's a progression up from trainee ACCP up to that. Well, it sounds like a, a tremendous clinical initiative that will undoubtedly have positive benefits for, for patient care. The obvious uh, elephant in the room, I guess, is the response of the medical team. What has the response been like? And I suspect you're going to tell me that in your circumstances that it's been very positive. But has there been any occasions where people have encountered any pushback from the medical side? Uh, certainly, um, and, and certainly when I first started, um, the, um, I think there was a, a healthy degree of suspicion 
um, because actually I think if we're brutally honest, I had the training that our trainees should have. Um, and AC, that's common across ACCP, so a training across the UK, is that um, they're getting um, you know, consultant-led training um, and there's a real will to invest in the ACCPs because the consultants know that the ACCPs are, gonna, are there for the long haul. So actually it's in their interests to um, make sure that their training is as, um, as robust as it can be. And certainly I think probably one of the keys, and I always say this to anybody who's thinking about going down this route, is it's about using those negotiation and communication skills that you get when you're an experienced critical care nurse. Um, and actually the potential for, com for competition with, uh, for skills practice um, is, really quite, is really quite high. And some of that is about being able to um, say that, um, that you know, the trainees are only there for three months um, and that sometimes it's about taking a step back and actually letting them put that line in or let them um, manage that um, airway or let them manage that ventilatory problem. Um, because um, that, that does two things. That acknowledges that um, they've got to meet their training needs too, um, but also that it's about um, not getting into competition when you don't need to. So it's about setting up that, um, that, um, that communication, if you like. I had probably more conflict, the wrong word, but potential conflict with um, doctors out on the ward, actually, than I did in the unit. Um, because um, obviously the unit was very, uh, very aware that what the role was going to be about and how it was going to work. And I say I was very careful about not, um, not impacting on the training of the trainees who were coming through. And I think that's really important to do. But certainly going out um, as a, an ACCP, going out onto the ward to cardiac arrest calls, to MAC calls, to trauma calls, um, or reviewing patients for uh, suitability for ICU, um, that, that was potentially more tricky um, because it's a sort of, hang on a minute, how come there's a nurse coming out and doing this? And a lot of that is, again, about how you communicate that, not getting into, not getting into conflict um, unless you absolutely have to. And, some of that is about making it about the patient rather than it, rather than about the role. And if I'm if I'm really honest, that those sort of situations um, are they still happen every now and again. Um, um, even though you know, in this in my trust, um, everybody knows this is this is what I do. Um, it's every now and again there's a sort of a hang on a minute. Um, but some of that is around having a I don't have a problem with saying I don't know. And I don't have a problem with escalating. Um, and I think some of the um, potentials for conflict go away when people recognize that, that you're happy to say, I don't know, and actually I think X, Y, or Z is in the best interest of the patient and have a healthy radar for when you need to, um, need to get somebody more senior. So I think um, and the, my experience talking to um, other ACCPs who are in training and trained is that that's very similar. Um, and a lot of it is about how you present yourself as an ACCP. Um, and that diffuses a lot of potential conflict to start with. I think also there was a lot of negativity in the, particularly with the Royal College of Anaesthetists, um, with um, 
they thought that there was going to be hundreds and hundreds of us and that we were going to be taking over um, all the potential training, training um, positions. Um, and actually that hasn't been the case. There's only going to be a small section of nursing and AHP community who um, will want to do this um, by definition. And actually what, what we have found is that um, my role works very well with the trainees. I'll say I spend a lot of time budding with them and supporting them. And it's really an extension of that sort of charge nurse role of advising and supporting the trainee. It just takes it a couple of stages, stages higher because you can perform the same skills. There, are, there will always be those who are very traditional around um, professional boundaries, um, and some people will never change that view. And I think there's something about respecting that. Um, and, you know, the bottom line is it's about not about whether they accept what I do or I don't do. Uh, from a professional point of view, it's about negotiating that it's about what's right for the patient. Carol, inevitably when these uh, types of initiatives are discussed, uh, it comes back to cost and cost is almost always intertwined with outcomes. Has any work been done on establishing the, uh, the value in terms of outcomes for the ACCP program? It's, uh, in, it's a work in progress um, and I say, you know, that's, um, that's something that we're working on at the moment across all the sites that are running ACCPs. So um, the only um, data that we've got so far, although we are, um, we are working on this, it's very, is to is where um, rotors are being filled. And that's a very sort of basic, basic measure. Um, you know, rotors are being filled by permanent ACCPs rather than rather than locums, and you can extrapolate that out into um, how the unit's running and whether there's an increase in or decrease in um, incidents and so on because you haven't got transient staff. To make it, um, to say that yes, it's definitely cost effective is difficult um, because a lot, as you know, a lot of um, critical care depends on an entire team and an entire uh, ream of um, potentials. Um, so you can't say that one individual uh, or one team of individuals have um, made the difference to um, patient outcomes. So what we're looking at is some of the basic data around um, consistency and quality, because um, I say we can measure that in terms of um, instance in, you know, line infections, those sorts of things, um, and also to um, see really where, um, how the role is perceived by the team. So that's much more qualitative in terms of, um, you know, how the whole team values the role, not just um, the medical staff, but also the nursing staff and the AHPs throughout the whole unit. So that's work that we're, we're working on at the moment. And finally, if anyone is uh, considering this as an option, what, how would they take that forward, Carol? Um, the, at the moment, uh, the work I'm doing with the Faculty of Intensive Care Medicine is that we, the curriculum that will be out shortly um, for consultation um, will lead to, um, following that curriculum with a HEI, um, so once all the competencies um, have been met, is what we're looking at is um, Thickham Associate status, which is a huge step forward for the ACCP role. That means it will be nationally recognised by the Faculty of Intensive Care Medicine. Um, 
and that will mean that the role is um, transferable and also uh, the exit exam will be hosted by um, FICM. So that will mean that um, the ACCP um, title will be commensurate with a set of knowledge, skills and competencies. So any, anyone who's wanting to um, undertake the role, um, the way um, it's working with the Department of Health and FICM at the moment is that uh, they have to be employed as a trainee ACCP. So nobody can just go off and do this by themselves because you need, it's recognised that you need a significant amount of input and support from your, uh, from your own unit. And so there's, I'll say, there's part training in, um, in the units with the clinical skills and the competencies that are required and then the educational aspects uh, will be run by um, university. Um, and the non-medical prescribing is obviously run by the university as well. So um, there are increasing numbers of centres in the UK uh, and units and um, universities who are working together to, um, you know, provide this programme. So it's it's getting much much more um, popular um, and much more easily available for um, people across the UK. Carol, thanks very much for your time today. It's been uh, fantastic to talk through this wonderful initiative and uh, all success to you. Thank you. No, it's nice to talk to you. If you enjoyed today's podcast, why not check out our websites, Critique and Crit Nurse. Our websites are leading providers of online critical care education and include podcasts, journal clubs, online presentations, modules, and much, much more. You can also join our free blog to help you stay up to date. Our websites are found at www.crit-iq.com and www.crit-nurse.com. You can follow us on Facebook and Twitter or visit us at the iTunes store. While you're there, check out our data interpretation and CT interpretation apps. Critique, making critical care education easier.